What's up, guys? Brian Ratliff here. Just wanted to say thank you for tuning in to Keep the Faith Podcast. Grab your Bibles and let's dig in to the Word of God. My senior year of college began with an absolute bang. My friends and I decided we were going to go cave diving. Now, to be honest, the only reason why I wanted to go is because during those years of my life, I was really involved in studying what we call the occult, or that is Satanism, or different types of ways of worshiping what we would describe as the devil. And I heard that down deep in this cave, there was this huge pentagram with candles around it, and they would get down there and worship Satan. And so I was just intrigued, and I decided I wanted to go cave diving just to see if that was actually true. There were rumors that we heard. Now, was it a good idea to go cave diving? No. Uh, Was it safe? No. Um, Should we have gone cave diving? No. Did we have the proper equipment to go? Absolutely not. And um, uh, was it wise to go? No. But as they say, boys will be boys. And so there we went. In fact, before we went, I went to Food City. And and if you know anything about me, I'm sometimes a little extremely frugal. So I went to the cheap section at Food City. It's like Food Line. And I found the cheapest flashlights I could buy. And I'll tell you more about that at the end of the sermon. So you got to pay attention to listen or at least hang on till the end. But so I get the cheapest flashlights I could buy and I pass them out to my friends. We get together. We hop in my friend's car. We drive a little ways away off campus and we find ourselves walking um, through the woods, which seemed like eternity, and we found the cave we were going to dive in. And sure enough, we stumbled across other students while we were there. Was it against the rules to do this? Absolutely it was. And um, did I get caught? Absolutely not. Our philosophy was it's better to ask for forgiveness than permission. So anyways, we enter into the cave, and there was no turning back at this point. It was, we were going straight in. It was muddy, it was slippery, it was cold, it was wet, and eventually we were consumed by darkness. That is, I turned backwards and I looked up and I could no longer see the light at the beginning of the entrance. And I bring all that up to to say that, that in our world that we live in, we literally have no concept of absolute total darkness. We have lights. I mean, we have lights here in the, the, the chandeliers here in the chapel. We've got lights going down here, the side up here in the front. We've got lights on our tablets and our devices. We have lights on our cars. We have lights in our cars. We have lights in our homes. We have lights outside of our homes. We have lights on the side of the street. We have lights everywhere we go. But in the day in which John was alive, there was a time where when the light or when the sun set, there was in a sense at periods of absolute total darkness. And today as we come to 1 John chapter 1, we know that throughout this small epistle, there's always this comparing and contrasting between good versus evil, uh, love versus hate. And today we're looking at the comparing and contrasting versus light and darkness. And here uh, the spiritual application is that God's truth is light and that Satan's work of error is darkness. 
Today, the title of my sermon is simply Walk in the Light of God's Truth. That is the theme here in our passage. Literally, in fact, I kind of have like three key thoughts for you today. And and the title of the sermon is kind of like the first one. That is, we are called to walk in the light of God's truth. But but it's interesting, John lays out here his thesis in this section. He says, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. But the key thought I want to share with you is on the screen behind me. A life without the light of God's truth is consumed by the darkness of sin. That is, if we could literally walk away with with any kind of thought that summarizes these five verses of the Bible or six verses of the Bible, it's that thought. A life without the light of God's truth is consumed by the darkness of sin. So my question right out the gate for today is this. Are you consumed by the the darkness of sin? Are you consumed by the light of God's truth? And the question I want to ask and answer today is this. I and mean, we see here this comparing and contrasting that John's writing, but how can we walk in the light of God's truth? I mean, how can we do that in 2022? In an age in which it almost seems like that, that the culture has literally departed from the word of God and we're living in a post, 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 post Christian world. How can we still do this? Well, I'm glad you asked because I believe there are three thoughts from John's passage here in these verses that I want to relate to you. The first thought today is found in verse 5. In this first verse, I believe God, through the penman John, and by the divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit, gives us the first way that we can walk in the light of God's truth. First of all today, walk in the light of God's truth with declaration. Walk in the light of God's truth with declaration. Let's think about the previous four verses here and this entire book here. This is a message that John is trying to reveal and announce and declare and proclaim to a group of people who have encountered this ancient heresy known as Gnosticism. This concept that Jesus was not fully divine incarnated and he was not fully man incarnated. This concept that, that, that you could reach the special enlightenment of salvation by having this special revelation that these Gnostics contained. And that they could, in a sense, live however they wanted to live, but still have a spiritual life that was well-pleasing to God. And John is laying out here in this book that, hey, if you call yourself a Christian, if you claim to be a Christian, you are first of all going to declare the light of the truth of God. As we think about this thought, I want to share with you this first thought from the first four verses. Let us declare God's son to the world. I mean, that's really the message John is revealing here in the first four verses. Remember in verse number one, it said the word of life. Of course, this is a a, a reference to Jesus Christ. He is the one that they saw. He is the one that they heard. He is the one that they touched with their own hands. He's the one that they saw die. He's the one that they saw rise. And for 40 days, they witnessed all these different things. They heard his teachings. They heard his messages. They watched him perform miracles. And they watched him ascend up to glory. And I believe right here, the Bible is revealing to us that we are called to go out and to announce to the world that Jesus is God's son. You know what announcement is? Today we have announcement time in our worship service. 
It's, it's the time when nobody listens during the church service. I <laughs> uh, just want to remind you. So why don't we have a bulletin anymore? Because nobody reads the bulletin, man. <laughs> nobody listens to annou- announcements. Nobody does. Uh, people after the service say, well, well when, when is the yard sale? <laughs> well, uh, sorry, you missed it. <laughs> when was Easter? Oh, well, it's in the past now. But in the, in the New Testament days, they would have a guy who was called a heralder. He was a one that would go out and cry out into the streets the announcement from the king. And here the Bible says that we are called to be the one who heralds forth the message of the gospel, the good news of Jesus. We are called to tell people about how we've encountered salvation in him. But I'm afraid that days will go by, that weeks will go by, that months will go by, that years might go by, that we fail to tell people about this one we call the Son of God. But now let me draw your attention to the first part of verse 5. As we're thinking about walking in the light of God's truth, that is with declaration, and about how we're called to declare God's Son to the world, I want to draw your attention to the first part of verse 5. Let's declare God's light to the world. Look at this first verse that we study, verse 5. Is that this then is the message which, which we have heard of him. Pointing back to the first four verses and really pointing back to the gospel of John and the gospel of Luke, the gospel of Mark, and the gospel of Matthew. Reading those four gospels reveals to us that Jesus declared to his disciples these things. And John, as he's writing here, and he, he, he referenced himself as the term we, and he's referring to the apostles that were mentored by Jesus. And he says, here and declare unto you that God is light. Here in this passage, it's obvious that we are called to declare the truth that Jesus is the light of the world. Remember what he said in the Gospel of John? He said, I am the light of the world. Could you just come with me as we're in that cave, if you will? If you could just imagine, you're watching me in a movie, and there I am in a cave, and it is totally dark. But if I were to flip on the flashlight, the light would expose the darkness. You see, it's interesting. If, if right now, there is, in a sense, darkness here in the auditorium, that is, underneath your pew, there's shade there's a level of darkness where you're sitting there. There's levels of darkness. You can look along here where, where the light's coming in and the shadows everywhere. It's a, there, it's a little darker right down the center here because there's no lights in the ceiling there. there. There's a little darker in different areas all over the sanctuary today. But the Bible gives us this idea that when the light of the gospel shines into our life, God exposes every ounce of darkness. It's interesting here. As I w- was thinking about... Um, The phrase here at the last part of verse 5, where it speaks about how God is light and in him is no darkness at all, I began to think to myself, why why is it necessary to say at all? Like, can't you just say that, that there is no darkness in God? That God is light and there is no darkness? Why does the writer John say God is light and in him there is no darkness at all? Why does he add those two words there? Well, I think it's obvious that there's no speck of darkness. There's no even slightest sense of the shade in the light of the truth of God. 
And so when, when you heard the gospel, that is God's light of truth shine into your life and it exposed every area of your life that was in darkness, contaminated by sin. And today, John is revealing to us that the only way we can expose the darkness of this world is to lift up the light of God's truth, his word, and let God's word do the work that only God's word can do by his Holy Spirit. But now as we think about here, as we think about this, the darkness, not a, not a shade of darkness, not a speck of darkness, it's obvious that we are called to declare God's son to the world. We are called to declare God's light to the world, but also let's declare God's truth to the world. There's, it's an obvious here that, that light is a metaphor for truth. That darkness is a metaphor for error. And that there is no error in God. God is the final source of truth. There's nothing that would be error in his character. There's nothing that he's ever declared that would ever bring error back to him. He is the final authority of truth. And he's given us his word to reveal that truth in him. And here it says, God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. So if, if he is fully light, then he is fully truth. We live in a world where it's relative. Two plus two to some people equals 665. Whereas two plus two to somebody who is a mathematician would say it's four. But we could never say that two plus two is not 365 because that might hurt somebody's emotional feelings. I couldn't dare say that two times two was four. I couldn't dare say in a math class that that was absolutely true. I would have to allow people on a test if I was the math teacher to say uh, two times two in my opinion is 777. Does that sound a little loony to you? Well, if God is a source of truth, do you think he was tr truthful when he said he was the only way to heaven? Do you think he was truthful when he said that his word is truth? Do you think he's truthful when he said that, that his word is true all the way from the very beginning, like even in Genesis, all the way to the very ending in Revelation? We are called to declare the truth. Now, listen, I know that there are times and place for um, helpful argumentation and apologetics of why we believe the word of God. But hey, listen, God did not call us to go into the world to try to, you know, um, explain away all the reasons why somebody should not be an atheist. God did not call us in the world to go and explain away why somebody should not be a, a Muslim. God did not call us to, to go into all the world and explain the way of why somebody should not be a Hindu or a Buddhist. God called us to just go out and herald the truth of his word and let God do the rest of the work. One thing I've realized, now listen, I am all about apologetics. I'm all about understanding what we believe and why we believe it and being able to articulate clearly why we're Christian. But, but I want you to know this, that I could give you a stat, I could, give, I could write a dissertation of 155 reasons why I'm a Christian and give you documentation that, that, that predates all of us. But that still wouldn't be enough for some people to believe if the Holy Spirit of God hasn't showed up in their life. Now listen, I could walk up and say, Jesus, and that would be all that the Holy Spirit needed to get them converted. 
Or there might be times where I need to have that 155 list in my dissertation to, to share reasons why somebody's a Christian. And then the Holy Spirit works in that. But understand this, that no matter which avenue you're coming from, sharing the truth of God, if God's Spirit doesn't intervene, then there's nothing we can say or do to convince anybody. We've got to let God's truth of light reveal the darkness in somebody's life. A life without the light of God's truth is consumed by the darkness of sin. We are called to walk in the light of God's truth, but how can we do that? Well, first of all, walk in the light of God's truth with declaration. God is calling you to declare his truth to the world. But secondly, from verses six through eight, walk in the light of God's truth with purification. Walk in the light of God's truth with purification. We're called to declare this truth, but there's a time in our life where this truth purified us. Look at verse six. But before we do, this right here is a bottle of great value purified drinking water. It even says on here with flavor enhancing minerals. It even shows the ingredients. I'm not going to try to bore you with reading the ingredients, but, but you get the idea. This was from Walmart because it's the great value. You know, it's the same brand. It's the same kind of water as, in, as the name brand stuff. Tastes just as good. Unless you're drinking alkaline water, of course. It might taste a little better, but this right here has been purified. It has gone through a process that it would get rid of all the impurities. And that's what God does with us. When we become a believer, he purifies us, not from the outside to the inside, but from the inside to the outside. It begins on the inside, and then that purification begins to make its manifestation on the outside. And it's interesting here. In verse 6, here we see that John is now arguing against these Gnostics that were creeping in the early church of his day and trying to bring people along with them to say that, hey, uh, we, we never saw Jesus, we never really heard Jesus, and we never touched Jesus, but, but we think that you got to have this special revelation and that you can live however you want to live as long as you know intellectually theology. John addresses it here. And the first thought I want to share with you underneath this purification process is verse 6. Here's the thought that I believe it's revealing to us. When our sins are purified, we can live without hypocrisy. When our sins are purified, we can live without hypocrisy. Did you know the concept of being a hypocrite is one of the main reasons why people do not attend or gather together for worship on Sundays? May I use the same logic about the gym? I'm not going to go to the gym because there are people that are overweight and out of shape at the gym. So therefore, I'm not going to go to the gym. There's people at the gym that are going to go to the gym, and as soon as they go out at the gym, they're going to go get an apple pie from McDonald's to the drive through menu. I'm not going to go to the gym because people don't look like they're fit at the gym. Well, maybe because they're trying to get fit. And maybe the reason why people don't look like they're spiritually fit in the church is because extra, extra real about it. We're never going to fully arrive to the perfection and standard of Jesus Christ. Now we're going to try, but what we're going to do is we're going to recognize that there's a time in our life when we come to faith and we have fellowship with God, but that fellowship with God, we might lose that joy because of sin in our life. 
And these people were going around and saying, hey, we can have full fellowship with God no matter how we're living. But John is saying that, hey, listen, listen, if you're doing all that stuff, you're actually lying and not living according to the truth of God. And so you're in darkness. You're not in the light. This word fellowship, it gives the idea, you know, you, you know what a family is? We're going to get to that here in just a second. But, but family, family is the people that you don't really like to hang out with, so you only hang out with them on Christmas Day and Thanksgiving Day. <laughs> I hope that's not the case, but, but that's the idea. And that's the same idea that we give ourselves here in the church. Hey, I just want to see my, my church family on Sundays for an hour. I don't want to try to live with them throughout the week. I don't want to try to, to, to check on them and to, to reach out to them or try to, 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 to encourage them or to edify them. You know, I just want to see them one hour a week or one hour a month or one hour a year on Easter or one hour a year on Christmas. But here the Bible gives this idea that it gives us the term fellowship here that, that it's, it's more than just this one handshake time and then we're gone, sayonara, see you later. No. No, it gives the idea that it's fellowship that develops a relationship that develops a partnership. And so we are partners. We're linking arms together with each other, marching forward the truth of God's word into the world. But here the Bible gives this idea that, hey, if, if you're not understanding that Jesus is the son of God, if you're not seeking to live according to the word of God, and if you're not seeking to share and display the love of God, you're not linking arms together with the church. And you're probably not part of the church. Here, the Bible says, it literally uses the word lie. And it gives this idea that it's a truth that has been skewed by falsification. It might be a little bit of truth. It's like rat poison. You know, you have a, a lot of good stuff with just a little bit of bad stuff. And this is what they were doing. The Gnostics were going around and they were saying good things. And it sounded good, but then they would make a B-turn and say things that were not true. And that's why it's important that you just don't listen to me. Or you just don't listen to any other pastor. You take what is said and you sift it through this book right here to make sure what is said lines up with what God has said. And it says that they are not even doing the truth. This gives the idea that they're not practicing the truth. You ever heard the idea that, that I am of a certain religion, but I don't practice that religion? Let me ask you something. If I said I was a Buddhist, but I'm not a practicing Buddhist, would you say that I'm a Buddhist? If I said that I'm a, a Muslim, but I'm not a practicing Muslim, would you say that I'm a Muslim? If I said that I was a Mormon, but I wasn't a practicing Mormon, could I really claim that I'm a Mormon? Let me ask you this. If I say that I'm a Christian, but I'm not a practicing Christian, can you really say that I'm a Christian? What do I mean by a practicing Christian? Somebody who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Somebody who seeks to obey the Word of God. And thirdly, somebody who seeks to display the love of God. That is John's point in this entire book. That if you claim to be a Christian, you're going to believe that Jesus is exactly who he said he was. You're going to obey his Word and you're going to display God's love. But now look at verse 7. The first part of verse 7. I want to share this other thought about purification. When our sins are purified, we can fellowship with God's family. We can not only live without hypocrisy, but we can also fellowship with God's family. It says here, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. This word fellowship gives the idea that first of all, we're going to have fellowship with God. 
We're going to develop a relationship with God. We're going to enter a partnership with God. But then that is going to extend to a localized body of believers. And that we are going to have fellowship with that body of believers. We're going to develop relationships within the congregation of those people. That's not saying you got to be best buddies with everybody in the church. But you got to develop relationships. And then you develop a partnership that, hey, we're going to come together and we are going to march forward God's truth into this community. And if you're not in fellowship with God, then you're, in a sense, not in fellowship with God's community of believers. Now, you can be in fellowship with God, but you can't be strayed away. And you can lose the joy and the, the passion and the, the energy and the excitement But what tends to happen when somebody slides back in sin, if they are truly a believer, they will slowly slip away from the house of God or from the people of God and the family of God. And so if we notice our brothers and sisters slipping away, we are called to reach back out to them. A simple text message, a simple phone call, a simple prayer, a simple how are you? And when we have been purified by the gospel of Jesus Christ, we want to seek to make sure everybody else around us has been purified by the same love, grace, and mercy and power of the Spirit. And I love this next verse, or this next part of verse 7. Not only can we fellowship with God's family, not only live with hypocrisy, but, but check this out. When our sins are purified, we can live with integrity. Look at the last part of verse 7. It says, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Of course, we know who Jesus was. We know who, what Christ is. Jesus and Christ, it simply means Jesus was his name. Christ was the title, declaring he was the Messiah, the anointed one, the Christ. The one predicted by the Old Testament prophets to come and pay the penalty of sins. But then it says his son. This is God's son. God had a son, an only begotten son, as John writes in verse 16 of chapter 3. But then it says, cleanses us from all sin. This word cleanse, it takes us back to the Old Testament. And it takes us back to a disease that no Jew wanted to have. And that no Jew wanted to be around somebody who had it. It's a disease called leprosy. Have you ever heard of leprosy? It's a very unique skin disease that can literally transform the outside of your body to make you look nothing like yourself. Sometimes it would, it would have all these bumps. Sometimes it would turn your skin to pure white. And sometimes it would eat your flesh off your body. And so they would quarantine people that had that disease. They would take them off and send them away to where they were not around people in society. And the priest would, they would have to show themselves to a priest, the priest after they were cleansed or purified. The priest would say, hey, you're purified, you're cleansed, you can enter back into society. Now I say that to say this, that at some point in all of our lives, we encountered a disease far worse than leprosy, and that is sin. And the only way to be totally purified by the disease called sin is the blood of Jesus Christ. And it clearly says that right here. It says the blood. This literally is a reference to the atoning sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross 2,000 years ago. That Jesus, his atonement, he paid for the penalty of sin once and for all. So that no matter what sins you ever committed, that can be wiped away by his precious blood. 
And we can live with the integrity that only God can cleanse us from our sins. And then check it out. Look, it goes on to say in verse 8. It says, if we say that we have no sin, let's pause right here. These Gnostics were declaring that, hey, in our flesh, our flesh is evil. It doesn't really matter what our flesh does, but our spirits are pure and holy. They were separating. It was kind of like a dualistic separation between the spirit and the body. And John says, if you're claiming that you are not sinning or have never sinned, you're a liar. He says, the truth of God is not in you. It's interesting. The word cleanse, it gives the connotation that when God cleanses us from our sins, it is a continual work of cleansing. That, that Jesus cleanses us from our past, present, and future sins once and for all. That is our slate of guiltiness is wiped away and that positionally we are as if we've never sinned in God's eyes. But here these people were claiming, hey, we have not sinned. And he says, you're deceiving your own self. I want to just pause and just let you know that there is this concept today in theology. It's called sinless perfection. And there's these people that come up with this idea that, that hey, I, I can reach a certain place in my spiritual walk that, that I, I'm no longer sinning. I'm living like Jesus, not sinning in thought, not sinning in word, not sinning in deed. Now, let's pause here and let's just think about this. Logically, I, I, if you want to, I can make it make sense for you. Logically, if, if I've never murdered somebody in my lifetime, then surely it is possible that I would never tell a lie. Possible. But just because it's logical and philosophical doesn't mean it's theological. And here, I want you to understand this, that we are contaminated by sin. We live in a fallen nature. And that at some point, at some point, we are going to give in to temptation in our thoughts. At some point, we're going to give in to the temptation of our words. And at some point, we're going to give in to temptation with our actions as a Christian. We are going to stumble. We are going to fall. And here, John is just saying, hey, if you claim that you have not sinned or are never sinning or from the moment you got saved, you've reached a special place that you, you're not sinning, the truth is not in you. And so today, there's not a person in this house who should claim that they are sinless and that they've reached some special place of enlightenment that they are no longer sinning and living perfectly like Jesus lived. The third thought I want to share with you, not only... How can we walk in the light of God's truth? Not only just with declaration and purification, but the encouragement today is found in verse 9 and 10. Thirdly, walk in the light of God's truth with confession. Walk in the light of God's truth with confession. Notice five times in our passage, he uses the concept of if. If we say, if we walk, if we confess. Three of the five times are negative, but two of the five times are positive. And in verse 7, it's a positive. In verse 9, it's a positive. And here he gives us the idea of confession. No, I'm not saying you've got to go into a booth and confess your sins to a pastor or to a priest. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying you've got to come to me and air your dirty laundry. And I'm not saying I've got to come to you and air my dirty laundry to you. But here the Bible just says this. John is saying he's combating this idea that these Gnostics had that, hey, there's this dualistic approach and, and, my, and my flesh is evil and, and spiritually I'm like as if I never sinned. He's saying, hey, listen, no, no, that's not how it is. Um, our spirit, soul, and body, it's, it's one being here. It's a tripart being. We are one being. 
as Paul writes in the letter to Thessalonians. And he says that those who have been contaminated by sin can confess their sins to God and reach salvation through him and him alone. Listen to this. As I read the first part of verse 9, when we confess our sin, God's faithfulness is revealed. Look at verse 9. It says, if we confess, say the word confess with me. Confess. This means to acknowledge something. And it means to say the same thing about sin that God says, that God says about sin. In other words, it says that, hey, I realize that what I've done is wrong and I've violated the law and commandments of God and I need God's forgiveness. So it says if we confess it and if we come before God, we acknowledge that it says here, it says plural, our sins, plural. Notice that sin, there are times here in our text where it gives the idea that sin is singular, but obviously that, that it's referring to the nature of sin and here it's speaking about the actions of sins. Now, check it out now. As we read this passage, we are delivered from the penalty of sin already. But we haven't been delivered yet entirely from the power and presence of sin. That is, the power and presence of sin can still have a grip on our lives. And that's why we got to mortify and crucify our flesh every single day to seek to live in the light of God's truth. But here it says that, that if and when we sin, confess it. And it says he is faithful. It means that he is fully trustworthy. He is going to do what he said he's going to do. Throughout the word of God, the Bible reveals to us that we can receive salvation through Christ. Remember, the same word confess is mentioned in Romans chapter 10, verse 9. It says, if we confess, that means if we acknowledge that Jesus is Lord and believe that God has raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. We can be delivered from our sins and transgressions when we confess that Jesus is Lord and that we ask God to forgive us of our sins. And he declared that he is faithful and he will do that. But then the verse goes on and it says, just, he is faithful and he is just. This means he's righteous. That is, God is justified in the actions of forgiving us of our sins. And that brings me to another thought here. When we confess our sin, God's forgiveness is revealed. And it says he is going to forgive us of our sins. This word, forgive, it gives the idea of laying aside something else. And so what Jesus is literally doing, or what the Bible is is revealing to us here in our passage, is that God is laying aside our transgressions because Jesus has cleansed us from it and we've confessed it and he has forgiven us of all of it. Doesn't matter if it was something you did when you were five. Doesn't matter if it was something you did when you were 15. Doesn't matter if it was something you did when you were 35, 55, or 95. God is able to forgive us. And then it says, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. As I think about this, I, only think, I not only think about God's faithfulness and forgiveness, but I think about when we confess our sin, God's forgetfulness is revealed. Now I know, before you send me an email or a text message, I know God is omniscient. I know God has never learned anything. And God never will learn anything. I know that God knows all things. But it's interesting, throughout Scripture, Hebrews 
the Old Testament. The Bible clearly says that he will take our sin and remember them no more when we've been cleansed by the blood of Christ. That's amazing. That God, the only thing God forgets is the sins that we've confessed. Maybe you have a brother or a sister and growing up when they did something that offended you, you never forgot about that. That ever happened to you? Or maybe you're married to the love of your life, of course, but there are things that the love of your life did or does that you just don't forget about. And every now and then it surfaced back up in the conversation. You know, God's not like that. God's not tainted by our humanness. God's not tainted by our fallenness. God's not tainted by our sinfulness where we are always going to bring up the things that we did in the past that were hurtful. God takes everything that we did and hurt him and he wipes it all away and cleanses us. Like I said before, this is that idea that it's a continual cleansing and it's from all unrighteousness, not just some of it, not just most of it, but every ounce of it. And then he says here, he says in verse 10, he says, if we say, if we make the claim, if we profess that we have not sinned, if we have not missed the mark, you ever been to the gun range? You ever shot a gun before? I remember the first time I shot a 12 gauge, it rocked my shoulder <laughs> and I probably missed the mark many times. But if you go there or you get that rifle or whatever gun it is, you're trying to sight it in, you, you get it up there and you're trying to hit that bullseye. There might be a time if it's not sighted incorrectly that you won't even hit the target, <laughs> much less barely miss the bullseye. But here the word sin in the Bible, it, it literally means that we have missed the mark of God's per perfection. And that the only way to level up to God's perfection is through a relationship in Jesus. Not through special enlightenment, not through false religious ideas, but through Christ and him alone. And he says, if we make a claim that we have never sinned, John says we make God a liar. And the word of God is not in us. May I take you back to that cave? Down into the depths of that cave we went. But we got to a point where I decided enough is enough. And my friends, they just kept on going. We got to this, this kind of ledge that, I'm telling you, if my memory serves me correct, it was probably six or eight foot tall. And I just did not want to jump down that ledge with a slippery, slimy, muddy rope holding onto. And so I just sat there and I... Watched them go down, and I could see them no more. And every now and then, I'd see their light flicker. And finally, after what seemed like eternity, they come back to where I was. And no, we didn't find anything about the occult or Satanism. It was all a rumor and a myth. It's probably a good thing we didn't find it, because we wouldn't have known what to do if we did. But they get back up to me, and we begin to climb up in our flashlights. Remember, I bought the cheapest flashlights. Uh, should have bought the nice $150 one around your headlamp light. But the light began to flicker. And so we'd have to shake that flashlight, and it worked. And, and we were climbing up this one section. It wasn't quite as tall as the others, but it was slippery. It was slimy. It was muddy. And, and uh, sometimes we had to put the – it's nasty. We had to put the flashlight in our mouth to hold it because we didn't want to fall. And I remember a friend of mine dropped his flashlight. And we watched it go down into the abyss of darkness, and then it disappeared. 
And I say that to say this, that if somebody is unwilling to accept the light of God's truth, they will walk in the darkness of sin for all eternity. And there will be no escape. See, I survived my crazy escapade. And I lived to tell another day. And I get, we got out the cave and, and I was from head to toe covered in absolute mud. Had no idea how we got so muddy down there, but we did. Threw away all those clothes, didn't want to keep them. I buy new shoes, new jeans, new socks, everything. Got it all new. But I remind you that a life without the light of God's truth is consumed by the darkness of sin. So the question is simply this. What are you being consumed by? Are you being consumed right now by the light of the truth of God or the darkness of error and falsehood? May God help us each day to walk in the light of God's truth. What's up, guys? Brian here again. Just wanted to say thanks again for tuning in to today's episode. You can check out this full message at PastorBrianRalph.com or Apple Podcasts or Spotify Podcasts. Keep the Faith is a ministry of Clearbrook Baptist Church in Roanoke, Virginia. If you're free one Sunday or Wednesday, we'd love for you to join us for worship. Until next time, God bless. I'm gonna walk by, I'm gonna keep my, I'm gonna live by faith. I'm gonna walk by, I'm gonna keep my, I'm gonna live by faith. Keep the faith, keep the faith, keep the faith, keep the faith.